Spirit Race show is back. I hope you had a great summer break, everyone. Uh, we are here just in time for Spa from Deschamps. That was a dreadful pronunciation. I do apologize. Uh, but the Spa Grand Prix or the Belgian Grand Prix, as it's properly called, I will get it right. It has been a few weeks, so please forgive me. The Belgian Grand Prix is just a few days away. I'm so excited that Formula One is back. I hope you all had an amazing break and today I'm going to give my thoughts on the season so far, a couple of thoughts on uh, some drivers and some teams, but not every team, just my general thoughts on the season so far. So let's get started. So the 2022 Formula One season began with a whole host of big rule changes. Now these primarily affected the aerodynamics. Visually, it changed the image of the car. The, the car looks completely different this year to, to last year. And if you have read my latest article, which was about the end of the Formula E season, you'll know that in that I wrote a little bit about the design of the new Formula E car. Now, Formula E have gone for a much more like cubism angle style for their new car, completely separating them from Formula One. If you remember the first Formula E car, it looked very similar to Formula One. And it's great now to see the physical design of the cars go in completely separate directions. The electric cars nowadays are moving away from the kind of like smooth car style into a more kind of 60s, 70s. If you've seen the Honda E, it kind of has that 60s nod. If you've seen the Ionic 5, that is a lot more kind of angular and coherent with what Formula E are trying to do. On the internal combustion side, I feel like they're going even further down the kind of sleek, smooth, curve style car. So just a note on the design, I think that both Formula E and Formula One are paying close attention to designs in the market and also setting the trends as well. So I actually really like the, the new look of the Formula One car. I think it looks sleek. I think that it really suits the Halo more because this is, of course, the first year that the Halo has been properly integrated with the whole design of the car rather than added as an aftermath. And I really like it. Now, on the rule changes themselves, the start of the year, uh, the launches were all about how the teams were going to interpret the new designs, the new aerodynamics, especially in areas like the side pods, the front wing, the rear wing. There was a little bit more freedom. And I'll make a note about some of the kind of legalities of it later on. But it's clear now, 13 races into the season, that Red Bull have got it bang on. And Ferrari seem to have, uh, it, on the surface, it doesn't look like it should work, but it is. Um, and then Mercedes did not get it right, much to many people's surprise. So let me start with Mercedes first. Now, Mercedes and particularly Lewis Hamilton uh, came into the season off the back of an enormous disappointment. And to me, it didn't even feel like there was much of a respite. In between what happened in Abu Dhabi and the start of the season, primarily because we had the, all that drama with the court case, with the FIA, with the internal inquiry, and ultimately it just kept the drama going throughout the winter break. And it's safe to say now, looking back after 13 races, 
uh, they didn't get it right, the original design. They really struggled with the first few races. I think it was actually a huge shock that they managed to get a podium, uh, but we know why, which I will touch on in a moment. And whilst they have consistently kind of been the third best team, I would say, I think that's fair to say, a lot of that has come down to the drivers and some pretty good strategic decisions that have meant that they've been able to capitalise on retirements and incidents within the race. They should not be as high up as they are now. They should not have as many podiums as they do now, arguably apart from the last few races where they seem to have sorted out a lot of those early issues. Now, those issues were to do with uh, what I think was nicknamed porpoising, which is a new word for this year. Porpoising can only be described as the kind of up and down movement that the cars had when they were going down a main straight. And essentially the drivers were just bouncing around in those seats. It looked extremely uncomfortable and was causing a lot of physical pain to Lewis Hamilton, a lot of back pain um, from just essentially being thrown around in the car for an hour and a half. And it got so bad that the FAA have actually stepped in and they've introduced some new guidelines, some new rules for next year. But the interesting thing about Mercedes' early start to this year was the fact that, according to them, according to Toto, their computer model, their virtual planning of, of this car, all checked out. Everything that should have been working on a simulator was not in fact working in reality. And whether or not they have kind of figured out what the disconnect was there, or if you know they've realized that their modeling is just not working, I don't know. But clearly something has happened and they've brought some upgrades to the second half of this, I guess, first part of the season, and it has worked. And now going into the second half of the season, I do expect them to be a lot more competitive. Whether or not they will win a race this year is yet to be seen. I think Hamilton was uh, very unlucky not to win in France. Uh, I think the tyre strategy, the safety car, the late safety car that came out um, meant that he lost his chance. But he had a very good chance uh, initially of winning due to that favourable tyre strategy that he had. I do think that Hamilton will likely get a win this year, and I, I hope that he does, because he has won a race in every single season that he's raced in. Notably, the team that has got it, I think, bang on this year in terms of the design and interpretation of the rules is, of course, the Red Bull. Now, Max Verstappen is currently leading the Drivers' Championship by a staggering 80 points. Now, firstly, I don't think that this will be overturned. Disclaimer, I think that Max Verstappen will be the world champion again this year. Whether that will remove some of the question marks over him uh, after what happened last year, personally, I don't think he will ever be rid of that. Um, I think it was so big and I don't think people accepted initially how severe um, an implication and the consequences of that decision in Abu Dhabi last year was, I think it will always be a thorn in Max Verstappen's side, no matter how many world championships he wins, unfortunately. Does he deserve to win it this year? Yeah, on the, on the surface, he does. When he's raced with Charles Leclerc, it's been great to see Leclerc actually bringing the fight to Verstappen. Sometimes he's 
capitalized, sometimes he's won, sometimes he's not. Ultimately, it comes down to the numbers, and Verstappen has won eight of the 13 races so far. It didn't start very well with the opening race. Uh, Verstappen had two retirements, which if you look at um, the statistics now, knowing that he had two retirements and then won eight of the other 11 races that he then competed in after that, it's pretty staggering how well he's done. Um, It doesn't paint the whole picture, but you know, just looking at the statistics, of course, he deserves to win the the title this year. And I think that he will. Perez was doing really, really well until after Monaco. And I believe that the car was much more suited to uh, Perez's driving style. After that, the, the style of the car has changed. And whilst Max could have done well and did do well, even when the car did not suit him, Perez cannot. And now Perez seems to have dropped off the order a bit. He doesn't seem to be as competitive as he was before the Monaco Grand Prix. And I wonder if that will hinder Red Bull because Max was doing well, as I said, even when the car didn't suit him. Uh, And that obviously meant that Perez was also doing well. They consistently had two Red Bulls in the fight. Now with the car suiting Max and it's a much more aggressive uh, driving style as well, with that not suiting Perez and the open criticism from Helmut Marco uh, continuing, as he likes to do, um, I think this is a little bit detrimental to uh, Sergio Perez and to Red Bull. Nine races left. I do think that it is Verstappen's to lose, but I don't think, apart from some catastrophic failures, I don't think he will lose. Only caveat would be um, I mentioned I mentioned uh, legality before. So it turned out that some of the Red Bull parts changes were not compliant or they had pushed the limit of what was allowed in the initial FIA, FIA rules. That came into force in Hungary and it did seem to have an effect. The Red Bull was a bit off the pace, but due to all of the drama in Hungary, Max obviously made his way back back through. But I do wonder if that will have an effect on, uh, on the rest of the, of the season. Now, in my mind, the team that should be up there, the team that should be leading the, the title right now, the Drivers' Championship and the Team's Championship, is of course the Ferrari. Where do I start with Ferrari? I mean, it does actually pain me to talk about it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I do really like Ferrari as a team, but I don't think they've taken responsibility as a team for the mistakes that they've made this year. It seems quite strange to me when it comes to Mattia Bonotto, because when there is a driver mistake, like, for example, when Leclerc put the car in the wall from the lead, I recall Bonotto saying, you know, he made a mistake, he'll learn from it, he'll move forward. But he did say, look, you know, he, he screwed it up, paraphrasing. But yes, that, that was essentially the message from Mattia Bonotto. But from the countless times that the Ferrari strategists have made really, really, really bizarre calls, I don't feel like Bonotto has kind of given the same phrasing. If anything, he's been overly defensive of his internal team. Which, of course, if it were me, if it were my team, of course I would be defending my team, but I wouldn't be setting double standards. Um, And equally, if I was defending my team 
publicly and I knew that changes needed to be made, I would be making them behind the scenes, even if I wasn't telling the press about them. And I don't feel like Binotto is doing that either. So it's clear that there are issues going on with the strategy. It's clear that Ferrari are trying to save face when it comes to publicity. But the reality is they should be leading right now. And in my mind, Mercedes are on their way to finishing second in the Constructors' Championship, which would be a huge embarrassment for Ferrari given how competitive they are. I want to touch on McLaren because they were a team that had a huge amount of hype going into this year. I think everyone thought that, you know, the money with the 10,000 sponsors that they have, um, that they would be competitive and potentially competing for podiums. I remember Pundit, I, I, sorry, I don't remember exactly saying that that was the strongest driver lineup that they thought, the, the partnership of Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo. As I'm recording this, it came out just a couple of days ago that Daniel Ricciardo will be leaving McLaren at the end of the year, despite him having a contract for next year. That obviously means that he's come to some sort of financial agreement. I think that his contract was worth about $20 million, uh, perhaps, per year. And, you know, the assumption is he's going to receive that. He's going to receive next year's salary. And will he have a seat? I don't know. He hasn't been confirmed for Alpine, which is where um, the rumours were that he was going to go to. And I think what's happened there is that Alpine are about to go into a um, a judicial review of, um, or the contract review with Oscar Piastri. And Oscar Piastri wants to go to McLaren. He wants to leave Alpine, but he is still contracted with Alpine. And so until that is actually sorted, I don't think Ricardo can necessarily confirm where he wants to go. So it actually feels like a huge step knowing that McLaren have gotten rid of him anyway. It's actually huge news that they've done that. I don't think that they've gotten the best out of him. And in fact, Sebastian Vettel said that himself today in the driver's press conference. He said that they haven't extracted the potential that Daniel Ricciardo has. I also listened to a podcast with Zach Brown talking to Jake Humphreys and within this, Zach Brown said, you know, we assumed or I assumed uh, and rightly so that you bring in someone experienced and they just know what to do. They can just get on with the job. I completely disagree with that approach. You know, if you bring in smart people, of course, you expect them to do smart things, but you, you need to you need to give them an environment to succeed in. And that environment needs to be one where the person can give feedback, can be listened to, can contribute to the conversation. And McLaren, to me, looking at it from the outside, feels like a team that is completely centered around Lando Norris. And so Daniel Ricciardo coming into that with all of his experience and his knowledge, it just hasn't gelled with that kind of setup that they have now. And I think for Daniel Ricciardo, it was a mistake leaving Renault because they've now become Alpine and they're incredibly competitive. Uh, it's, and I will talk about Alonso in a moment, but it's, it's a real shame, actually, because Daniel Ricciardo is one of the most popular drivers on the grid. He is probably the second most popular driver in the United States. I know that he's been brought on to produce some television shows over there. He does like TV appearances. 
And so in many ways, I feel like McLaren have you know, capitalized on the marketing side of Daniel Ricciardo, but then they haven't extracted the driving potential out of him. And that to me just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I think it's a real shame and I'm disappointed to see that from such a big team. Ah, I think it's going to be a tough year for them. All right, I briefly mentioned Alpine and I do want to talk about this team because, I mean, they always seem a little bit chaotic from the outside. And I think part of that is down to, you know, the constant team principle changes, the kind of shady getting rid of Alain Prost and Omar Safnauer and the team principal from last year. Like they just seem to not be very good at people management. But their car seems to be good and they've got two very good drivers. They've been extremely competitive this year. They've consistently been, uh, the, I think, the next team behind Mercedes in most of the races so far. Although there has been that kind of hilarious um, <laughs> Alonso train that has gone on quite a lot this year where um, Fernando has kind of led a pack of maybe five, six, seven cars Uh through like a DRS train where none of them can overtake. One, because you can't overtake now with the new rules. Oh, I guess you still can't overtake very easily with the new rules, but you can follow closely behind. And it's Fernando Alonso and it's very hard to get past him. But Fernando Alonso has also recently just said that he is leaving and going to, of all the places, Aston Martin. Um, this to me was the most bizarre decision of the year so far. I've had about three weeks to think about it, and it still doesn't make sense to me. Um, I've seen a lot of comments on TikTok from the last last video that I posted being like, well, you know, he's there for the money. He's going to grow the team. They're getting new facilities. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I've said what I needed to say about Fernando Alonso moving to Aston Martin. I'm not going to turn this into a, you know, throwing Aston under the bus. I have my reservations and we will leave it there. I don't think that Daniel Ricciardo should have left Renault. I don't think that Fernando Alonso should leave Alpine, which is formerly Renault. That's all I'm going to say on the matter. But I have been incredibly impressed with uh, Ocon. Um, I have been impressed with Otmar Safnauer, with their strategic calls. They've had a good season. They're extremely competitive. Whilst we're on the subject of Aston Martin, um, another driver leaving is, of course, Sebastian Vettel. And I, in the last episode, the, the kind of part one of this summer series, I spoke about how that made me feel. Uh, I guess the final thing I'll add to that is um, the sustainability side of motorsports is incredibly important to me. Uh, I've become a huge fan of Formula E over the last few years and being a lot closer to that sport this year, I see a lot of that for myself. For example, I love that in Formula E, there are multiple races on a weekend and they count, you know, they're the same race, but it's just in one city over two different days. That to me feels so much more sustainable than going to what will be next year, 24 individual locations. First of all, I think 24 races in general or 24 individual race weekends is too much. I think it's too much for the attention span of a global audience, of a motorsport audience. It makes it very difficult to go into detail 
on a specific topic because you're constantly having to generalize. You're having to kind of sweep the surface, just look at the statistics, just look at the numbers, just look at the race wins and the points. When in fact, there are so many individual interesting stories that have to get missed because we don't have time to talk about them. I experience that problem every single time I do this show. But next year, 24 different races is extremely difficult to to follow, both as a fan, both as a podcaster and and a broadcaster. Um, But from an environmental perspective, it's extremely uh, difficult for me to wrap my head around that. And so knowing that Sebastian Vettel, who is, of course, an amazing environmental advocate and critic, it's important to say that he is a critic, is leaving, it makes me care less about the efforts that Formula One are doing because one, I know that they're not doing it. And two, I know that their loudest voice is gone. Biofuels, great, but it's not happening fast enough. And at the same time, expanding the calendar in such a way that it cannot be sustainable at all. So I'm definitely disappointed that Vettel is leaving. Um, In terms of his season so far, it's probably been his worst season, but also his best season in terms of he knows that he's leaving. He knows that he's retiring. And I have been the biggest fan of him this year, more so than any other year in Formula One, because he just doesn't have any reason to not say what is on his mind anymore. And isn't that amazing? We're so lucky to have these press conferences right now with Sebastian Vettel. We're so lucky to have these uh, races with him, knowing that you know he, he does care, he loves racing, but at the same time, he knows he's on his way out. And so I feel like we just need to enjoy the next nine races with Sebastian Vettel. The last thing I'm going to talk about today is the fact that you know we are going to, to Spa, to the Belgian Grand Prix. Spa is probably... I feel like I've said this about three races, so if I, if I have, then I apologize. But Spa is probably my favorite race of the year in terms of like the circuit. I love the circuit. Like, like a lot of people, I think Monza, Silverstone, Suzuka, Spa, they are the best circuits. They are the traditional race circuits, and that is what they have in common. They're the best because they've been designed for racing cars. They haven't been designed to look good on TV essentially, which is what I think a lot of these new tracks have, or to have a conversation factor, or to go around a fake marina, or to go down the Las Vegas Strip. You know, you get my point. There's rumours that uh, that have come out in the last few weeks that these circuits are up for debate. A lot of these circuits, Monza, Monaco, Spa, do not have a deal for next year on the calendar. So there's a risk that we might lose them. And at a time where there have been so many changes happening in the world of Formula One. Whenever I see rumours like this, I wonder what on earth is going on at headquarters. I know that Liberty Media are an entertainment company and not a sporting company, but we're about to go into dangerous territory. Like, Look at Daniel Ricciardo. He was clearly a, an excellent marketing decision for McLaren. A commercial decision. You know, he brings talent, experience, knowledge but he's also extremely popular. I think that that was one of the reasons why he was taken to McLaren, because he's so popular, and it hasn't worked out. Because the core fundamentals of racing, the absolute basics need to be in place. And 
I think with that, in terms of the sport itself, the core tracks need to be there. And so the fact that we're you know, even having this conversation, the fact that I'm seeing this from you know, rumored f- driver accounts using a different alias is alarming. I realize that I've gone on a little bit of a rant here, but I'm, I'm saying these because uh, we, you know, we only have nine races left. I think the season is wrapped up and it isn't going to be seen as a classic year. But to me, that means that they need to solve those fundamental things to make it an entertaining racing sport, whatever, um, before they start dealing with the marketing side of it. The marketing will work for itself when there's competition, when there's drama, when there's title fights going down to the final race of the season, despite how it turned out. That was what we wanted. We wanted a title fight going to the last race of the year. So I am a little bit concerned. And, you know, when I do my wrap up at the end of this year, um, I will give my thoughts on like the general direction that I think Formula One is going in. But I'm feeling a little bit unsure of things right now, especially with a very vocal driver leaving the sport. I guess we'll see. Um, in terms of spa, like I said, it's one of my favorite circuits. It's probably the only one that I can do on the Formula One game, on the racing game. Um, I love it. I love how fast it is. I think because it's a fast circuit, it's probably going to suit the Red Bull. But I'm very excited to to tune in. I absolutely love Spa. So enjoy the rest of the season. I will be back uh, after Spa to give my thoughts on the race. Uh, And thank you for tuning into this uh, rather long episode. Thank you also for tuning in to part one as well. And if you haven't seen that, go check that out. That is a recap of the driver changes, the rumors and the announcements that happened at the start of the summer break. If you haven't as well, please check out sprintrace.show, the motorsport blog. And until next time, thank you very much for tuning in.